We want to talk to you about the scandal that happened in the city council in LA. They were talking and they said a lot of racist things. They criticized just about everybody. They, they criticized gays and blacks and whites and even their fellow Latinos who weren't of, you know, the, the same tribe that they were. It, uh, it, was, uh, it was really shocking. And that's the entire focus of the media. It's basically on the terrible things that were said. But this is really a case study in political corruption. Political corruption, first of all, because this was a meeting that was hosted by the Labor Federation. The truth is, they run the city of LA. They run the state of California. They are not just a special interest. They are the controlling interest, if, if you will. My guest today is Rick Reeve, veteran journalist and TV host. Today he is going to talk about the scandal with Los Angeles City Council members who were talking and making racist remarks in a private meeting. As a result of this meeting, Nuri Martinez, the president of the City Council, had to resign. Now, while the media reported on this scandal widely, the media really didn't question the in-depth story behind this meeting. Today Rick is going to discuss with us what was this story about and why the media is not covering these type of in-depth stories. I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Great to be here. We want to talk to you about the scandal that happened in the city council in LA uh, with Nuri Martinez and a few other city council men. They were talking and they said a lot of racist things. And, they criticized just about everybody. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> they they criticized gays and blacks and whites and even uh, even their Mexicans, their their, right. their their fellow Latinos who weren't of you know the, the same tribe that they were. It uh, it was uh, it was really shocking. Can you tell us more about the media coverage? So this this got covered and there's a lot of discussion about what they said in this. But this was like an event that happened a year ago. Well, it, it, yes. Well, the, yeah, the, the conversation took place a year ago. The tape was just recently uh, revealed, and that's when everything hit the fan. And uh, w one of the council people involved has already resigned. Uh, another will be out of office anyway because he lost the primary. And then the third uh, uh, council person, uh, uh, Mr. De Leon is uh, under pressure right now to resign, which is something he, he hasn't done. Um, so uh, the, the, the media coverage, I think, is kind of interesting. Um, uh, most everybody in Southern California by now has heard about this whole story and the terrible things that were said and the, uh, the hypocrisy of the fact that you had these uh, 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 people who purport to be the woke folks, you know, the, the ones who are champions of minority rights and all that, talking in such a disparaging way uh, about the very people they purport to represent. Now, in truth, if you look at their policies, uh, they, they, are, they are liberal. I mean, there's, you know, and they, uh, they would argue, I think, uh, uh, persuasively that they have uh, uh, championed, regardless of whatever evil thoughts they had in their heads or that they expressed in this, in this meeting, which they didn't realize was going to become public, uh, that, uh, you know, they, they adhere to those things so that, you know, uh, uh, but again, it's kind of interesting because LA is such a tribal, uh, such a tribal place now. And there is so much um, uh, identity, you know, identity politics that goes on 
in in a city like Los Angeles. That's the uh, you know the 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 betoir is uh, you know identity politics, and so um, when something like this happens, it's sort of the woke eating their own. So now they've turned on these folks. You ask about the media coverage. Uh, that's the entire focus of the media. It's basically on the terrible things that were said. And if we do certain things now, this will address the terrible things that were said. Um, what the media has missed here, I think, there's been very little uh, comment about this is, uh, you know, if you want to make it about racial hatred, you can because that's, that's a huge element of the story. But there's a bigger element, which is corruption, political corruption. And that's the, uh, that's the uh, part of the story that the media is downplaying. It's not, it's, it's not as sexy, it's not as interesting, it's not as emotionally grabbing, but this is really a case study in political corruption. Political corruption, first of all, because they were meeting, this was a, a, a meeting that was hosted by the Labor Federation, the Los Angeles Labor Federation, which is an umbrella group for all of the unions, including the public employee unions, especially the public employee unions in, uh, in Los Angeles. They have So is this the biggest union, or this <coughs> oh, is the yeah. leader it, it, of all the it's, unions? It's all of the unions. I yeah. mean, it is, it is organized labor. So this in, is the leader LA. of all unions. And, and they, the truth is, they run the city of LA. They run the state of California. I mean, I, now, I mean, they're, they're influenced. They are, they are not just a special interest. They are the controlling interest, if, if you will. And, uh, and so here, uh, and what, what were they talking about? Redistricting. The whole, the whole topic that these three uh, public officials, these three council members, came together to meet uh, with the head of the uh, Labor Federation, who, by the way, I once had on, I, I, I once... Uh, you had him on the I, show, I, right? Well, I, yeah, I was on somebody show else's show. You were I was on somebody working. else's show, and we were debating the minimum wage, but that's kind of a, that, that's a side story, of course. I, I have problems with the minimum wage. He loves the minimum wage. But anyways, that, that, that's, that's another story. Uh, his name is his, Ron Herrera, and he has resigned his position. But, um, yeah, and that's interesting. All right, so he resigns and like, oh, well, now the Labor Federation is taking care of their problem. No, the problem is the Labor Federation controls the city of LA. And so in, uh, uh, the meeting that they had was about redistricting. And again, here, here is a process that is supposed to be transparent. And, you know, publicly, uh, we've drawn maps up and this is how we're going to change the, you know, these, these, this is how we're going to redraw the districts and we want to be fair and give everybody representation. And then at the end of the day, you know, a, a commission does make recommendations. Which and then they it goes, did try to do it this time really transparent. They got input from the right. community for a year and they yeah. played. But, but the fine print, of course, is that the final decision is still made by the city council. Okay, so they go through, as, as you're suggesting, they, they have this process, it sounds like it's open, it's democratic, and so they do the districts. But then it goes for a little fine-tuning back to the council. And so then you have these three council members uh, uh, who have a lot of clout, or have a lot of clout, uh, meeting in secret with the Labor Federation to, this is how we're really going to divvy up the pie. Okay, and of course the outrageous thing is, is this is where they started making their comments because they were so angry at some of the other 
interest groups that were different than theirs, you know, and that uh, this person, that person, you know, and all that. So, so it, it's it's that it's that corruption on on two levels. One, the the uh, uh, overarching power of the public employee unions, and then secondly, this uh, subversion of the democratic process uh, in in how you draw. Uh, you know, the, the, how you redistrict, which is really the one man, one vote. You know, uh, uh, you typically hear from the left all the talk about voter suppression. They're trying to stop people from voting. And yet here are very liberal politicians getting together to talk about basically how do we help, how, how do we give these people more of a say and these people less of a say in the democratic process. So there's, there's a lot of hypocrisy. And while, again, just to you know, come full circle here. Uh, the comments are deplorable. I, I find the corruption an even more interesting story. When they were doing the redistricting, we actually covered these stories pretty closely. What happened was in the last two weeks or last few weeks, everything changed. So right. I had this very transparent process right. for a year, getting input from right. the community, and then it got changed in the last couple right. of weeks. It seems like the, the media has kind of forgotten about that or going after that. Right, because the media, unfortunately, the, the media has always, uh, you know, had this tension between uh, do, we, do, we make, uh, uh, do we make the important stuff interesting or do we just do the obviously interesting stuff? You know, and so it's, it, it's, it's a little harder to get people worked up or to explain. I, I'm saying the media should do it. Uh, this is what, you know, I mean, I feel this is the job of a journalist to take what's important and make it interesting to people. And, and, and so something like redistricting, the kinds of stories you, uh, you were doing, uh, that's important, but it doesn't grab people like, did you hear the things they were saying on this tape? You know, and, and <laughs> so, you know, that's, uh, and I, I think uh, increasingly the media is so motivated by clicks and eyeballs and, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's the way they go. This, it's an easy one. Of course you're going to report on all of this stuff they were saying. So what's the impact of, uh, is, do you see the media doing this most of the time? Like this is happening all the time based on what? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, you know, and, and uh, even, even more than just jumping, if they just jumped on a story because it was a good story and beat the heck out of it, you know, uh, that's one thing. But even more so now, the media has its narratives. And, and uh, I think that's the biggest change in the many years that I've been a journalist, uh, is the ch how journalists, uh, how the jur journalists have, uh, their perception of their job has changed so much. The way they see their job, when I started, journalists, journalists have always tended to be liberal and you know, conservatives will complain about that. Um, and, uh, uh, but when I started, even though most journalists were liberal, they still believed in their craft and they felt that they could objectively cover things. They could be fair. And they, uh, and, and they were much more concerned about that than their own personal feelings about something. They might, they might not like uh, uh, Richard Nixon, let's say, but at least up until Watergate, they, I think they, they were very fair about it. And they, uh, you know, so they would, they would kind of, they would suppress some of their feelings and report on it. Not nowadays, you know, uh, everybody picks sides. And if you have, uh, it's more important to further the narrative than to report the facts. 
you know, the idea of letting the facts take you uh, where they go. Uh, journalists don't really, the young journalists now, so many of them don't, don't believe that. They believe there is a truth that they understand and their job is to promote that truth. Rick, you have interviewed a lot of politicians. You've, uh, what do you think these guys were thinking when they were saying all this stuff and when they were doing this discussion? I think they were angry. Now, I, I don't want to sound like I'm cutting them a lot of slack because the things they said were terrible. And I have to say, honestly, that I'm thinking about, like, have I said things in private that I wouldn't want, you know, about somebody or, you know, someone that I'd be embarrassed about? And the answer is yes. But would I say the kinds of things they were saying, uh, you know, just really basically uh, uh, racist, uh, you know, and not just anti-black, but I mean, they, they were like, you know, criticizing sexual, uh, you know, sexual inclinations and everything else. Um, I don't know a lot of people that talk that way. I mean, it was really shocking to hear that. But now to step back and cut them just a little slack. These are hardball politicians. These are, uh, and they're, they're playing, playing for keeps, all right? So this is kind of like maybe more of, of a locker room of two NFL football teams. And we're in the locker room of one of the NFL football teams, and they're talking about the other side. They gotta beat these guys and all that. And I think that in the, with that kind of a mindset, you're likely to say some things that you know, are, are over the top. And, uh, you know, it just, I, I, I can understand. I'm, I, you know, it's, it's this idea that there's, um, I, I don't subscribe much to the fact that, oh, you know, evil is this, this thing out there. And, uh, you know, if we can only eradicate it, you know, that, that uh, you know, if, if we change the behavior or something like that, it'll change. No, I think uh, sometimes you're getting into a very heated situation, playing for keeps, you don't think anybody is recording what, what you're saying and you're among like-minded people. And I think it was more like, this is our team and we're, you know, we, we, we've got to get around these guys. Uh, you know, they're causing us problems uh, and whatever. So, uh, But philosophically, these guys actually pretend to be, you know, compassionate to everybody right. outside of those, those doors. Like they, right. they, they pretend to be... Do you think it's like that behind the scene with all these politicians? You know, there's one side <laughs> we see and then there's another side when the doors are closed and they get together. I'm not saying the other side would say the same thing because I don't know that. You know, if, uh, if you had uh, some, you know, some folks on the other side, what they would say about, about those three council members. Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, some ways I sit back, you know, uh, it, it's human nature. I think there's what, what the, the idea, is, uh, and I think what was shocking to people on the left to hear these things is we don't talk this way. We don't think this way. It's only those other guys that think that way. You know, they're the ones that think that way. It's not us. You know, we would never say those kinds of things. And it's, I'm thinking, you know, it's human nature. At the end of the day, it's human nature, and people are weak, and people, you know, uh, have their moments, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, but when you get caught, <laughs> like they did, a gig, gig is up, you know. So, uh, but I, I guess I am not as, uh, I, I, I'm appalled at the remarks, but I'm not totally surprised. 
Uh, really not, because, uh, you know, and here's the thing to think about. Um, this could not have been the only time they said that. Whoever recorded them, and we don't know at this point. They probably point, knew what was going on. They knew that this kind of thing went on, and they, they had a purpose. They wanted to catch them for some reason. But it is interesting. Somebody, somebody wanted that to be known, and clearly they knew it was coming. They had heard this kind of talk before. This is my opinion, that they, you know, so they had a feeling we can, we can catch them here. You know, we can set a trap. So now I, uh, I, I do think that one of the interesting outcomes of this will be um, that um, the politics of L.A. will become more progressive because these three council members were, um, uh, uh, were, were Latino and they were sort of the establishment now. You know, L.A. now is a uh, either majority Latino or um, uh, majority minority Latino. To that, yeah. So to some extent, they're part of the establishment now, you know, that, that the Latino politicians in L.A., if you will, represent sort of the establishment. And they were really more moderate. Uh, it, you know, it's all relative. They're all they're all, uh, uh, you know, leaning to the left. But they were more moderate than some of the other more progressive elements of the Democratic Party. And that the likelihood now is with them out of the picture or soon to be out of the picture, that there will be even more of a progressive shift. For instance, Gil Cedillo, who is one of the three council members that were in that was in that meeting, is already uh, out. He'll be leaving at the end of the year because he lost his primary to a uh, avowed socialist defund the police candidate. And you have a lot of that movement in L.A. So whereas, ironically, San Francisco seems to be pulling back a little, if anything, the politics of L.A. Uh, is even moving more now toward the progressive side and that what's happened here with the uh, ouster of, of two and possibly three of these, uh, all three of these council members, is that it's going to even move L.A. more to the uh, uh, progressive end of things, at least in the short term. Now, do you think in a story like the case in L.A., do you think the journalists don't understand that the corruption part is a more important fundamental problem than the, than the leaders saying those things? Or, or do you think they just don't even see that? No, I think that they, uh, to a large extent, um, accept the mindset of the politicians, and therefore they excuse some of that corruption. Uh, another example, um, with the, uh, the head of the uh, uh, Los Angeles Unified uh, School Board, one of their recent uh, uh, presidents uh, retired, and uh, he presided over COVID and everything. Well, if anybody looked at what happened at LAUSD during COVID, it was a, it was a disaster. But he presided over it. And there's this, this sense that we can't really hold politicians accountable because the problems are so overwhelming and uh, everything is daunting and they're doing the best they can. And uh, it's almost impertinent to suggest they're doing a lousy job. So I saw a coverage of uh, Prop HHH. There was a politician that actually, uh, you're familiar with the homeless. Uh, this is a oh, proposition oh, HHH oh. that was passed. In the one LA. a billion dollars. One point two yeah, billion dollars yeah. and they built housing. And, and according to the city controller, it's been a disaster. In LA. It's almost costing 800,000 like per a, unit. How many they're sp supposed they to build? They were supposed like to build 10,000. And they, they built, built like 1,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um, so 
when I saw yeah. some of the coverage of this, one of these politicians went up there and he actually said this proposition has helped a lot. We've been mm -hmm. very successful in building the housing. And I don't remember what his role was, but the media had just written it like right. that. Right, right. And it's nobody... Just they reported what he said. And because but they didn't say, you right. know, this, is, this has been a disaster in terms of the results. Because the way, the way you measure the uh, worth of a politician is A, by their stated good intentions. So they stated a good intention in the amount of money they're able to raise to do something. So they managed to get the taxpayers to agree to a, a tax increase so that they can fund this billion, $1.2 billion program. And it was a, it was a lofty uh, 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 purpose and it was well-intentioned. They're, they're going to address homelessness. So you ask me if I've addressed homelessness, well, I was in the vanguard of getting 1.2 billion approved so that we can do these things. And here I can point to this place and this place where we cut a ribbon. And so we achieve something. But as you point out, it, it's been woeful. It's been woeful. And has the homeless situation improved in Los Angeles since uh, I think it was 2016? So in the last six years, five years, has homelessness, has, has the problem improved? No, it's gotten worse. So if I'm the reader of that article, I believe the politician because the politician says this has been a success and I think Prophet Chichich has been a success because nobody's saying anything well, in that article. Well, you see, article. the media doesn't, uh, you know, uh, they never hold, uh, they're not holding these, uh, they're not looking at results. They're hung up on style. I, I think the, the, the media nowadays is very good at being judges as you would be judging a diving competition at the Olympics. They're very good at scoring, and, uh, but they're not, they're, they're, they're not getting really into the weeds and they're not looking at the results of things. It, it's all about good intentions. Now, do you think it's because it costs more to do it that way when you have to really dig and ask the questions? Or is it that you have to actually, or, or the, the, the media journalists are kind of sold with the, they are kind of convinced by the politicians that whatever the politician is saying is probably right. And I just don't have to really fact check or analyze. I think, it's, I think it's because uh, they, uh, it, it, in the case of Los Angeles and more generally uh, for the most part in California, the journalists have the same life view as the politicians. They have, they, they buy into the same narrative so that at the end of the day, the people that are running, uh, uh, you know, Sacramento or running Los Angeles or running San Francisco are more aligned with our views than the people who, who aren't running the city, than the critics. And so I think, I think that's, that's a so huge part of it. So naturally they don't question. I mean, look at, look at uh, I mean, the biggest one to me, there's no better example. If, if you want to make an argument there's, there's systemic racism in our country, I'd say the public education system is probably the best example of that, but not in the way that liberals uh, want you to believe it. The public education system, which is run, you know, uh, basically run by the teachers' unions, uh, are, have been ill-serving children, particularly children in, disadva in disadvantaged areas, for decades now. 
And, and uh, you know, so to me that is, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the biggest example of a failure of public policy, but you don't hear that much about it. And when politicians are saying the way to solve education is to put more money, raise more money, the teachers need more money, the schools need more money, uh, that what they're talking about is let's continue to pour money into a failed system. And journalists don't call them on that. Journalists uh, incredibly underreport the success of charter schools, of homeschooling, uh, of, uh, of the uh, 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 Catholic schools, which by the way, they, I just saw a study that, uh, that uh, came out that uh, said that the uh, Catholic schools, which were, remain like 95% open during COVID, uh, have had much better results from, from the children in the last two, two, three years during COVID than did the, the public schools, which uh, were less than half open uh, in, in that same period of time. In fact, I, I saw, and I can't confirm this, uh, but, but the person uh, writing about this said that if the uh, uh, Catholic schools were uh, a state, you just made them a state, they would have outperformed all the other states on educational performance. So, uh, you know, so anyway, uh, my point is that the media has underreported the good things that are happening in education because it doesn't fit the narrative, which is that public education is a wonderful thing. Because the purpose of public education is to ensure that no child is left behind, that the, the poorest kid can get a good education, and they're going to a public school just like the rich kid, and you know they have the same opportunity. But of course, we know in practice that isn't the case at all. Now, what is the impact of all this? If the media is not really holding the, the the leaders of the state and the city like LA accountable by going more deeper, looking at their policies, yeah. looking at their results. What's the impact on us? Well, the impact is that problems persist or problems take a lot longer to get addressed uh, be, because the media isn't doing, in my opinion, a, as good a job as it should in reporting on these things. You know, eventually people start to catch on and now even in uh, uh, in cities that are totally dominated by, uh, by one political party, such as in Los Angeles, you do have a movement now to reform education. Uh, every time there's a school board seat now, there's a battle between the forces, the charter forces, if you will, and the union forces to see who wins, who wins the seat. And uh, so, you know, it, 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 it after, look, look in San Francisco with the crime. San Francisco is a totally liberal Democrat city, but you had enough liberal Democrats that finally said, we've got too much crime. And so they threw out, and our schools are terrible. So they threw out the school board. Uh, you know, they recalled a, uh, a prosecutor, uh, so, or a DA. And so, you know, these are, uh, after a while, uh, even people who might be sympathetic in a philosophical level say, this place is unlivable. We aren't teaching kids, there's too much crime, at, but it, it's too bad that it takes as long as it does because you don't have a, a media that's, that's really uh, taking a, uh, a, 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 an analytical look at things. Do you think there's gonna be a point where people will uh, not trust the media anymore? Well, people don't trust the media anymore. It's terrible. If you look at uh, um, uh, public 
acceptance of the media in the 70s trust of the media was like it was 70 percent basically 70 percent of the people said they trusted the media now it's down to like 25 percent uh, uh, now it is interesting the left has more trust in the media which should tell you something maybe you know what they're uh, they like more of what they're hearing from the mainstream media but even even among uh, Democrats it's less than it's less than 50 percent now so uh, the, the public has already lost uh, lost trust in in, in the media so like if people are reading the LA Times or Sacramento Bee, different kinds of papers mm -hmm. that, are, that have been established for many years, yeah. do you think they're gonna at some point give up reading these papers or? Well, people are, people are giving up reading newspapers. They're still getting news online. But um, I, I think people are, uh, one of the things that's happened is that, uh, and I'm not, uh, let me go back, I'm not trying to blanketly uh, criticize the media because even among, you know, I, I, I mean, for years I knew the New York Times, uh, you know, leaned left, but until very recently, they still had great reporting. I mean, it was, you know, and, they, and uh, you, could, you could see the bias, but it was done in a way that if you really wanted to get the truth out of a story, you could, you know, by just saying, oh, well, I know this person, that comment there was a little uh, gratuitous or whatever. Uh, but it's getting harder and harder. And, uh, so, uh, you know. What can Californians do about this? Like where, wh what should you do um, uh, about this when you're seeing a story like the, the city council issue yeah. in LA? Is there a way for them to figure out what's Well, I think people get, well, first of all, people now go to the media sources that they, that they like. And you know, so if you like, if you, or if you lean one way, you'll go to Fox. If you lean another way, you'll go to CNN or, or MSNBC. Um, which isn't the healthiest thing, you know. It, it's hard to find uh, what you might call an objective source, you know. It, it's, it's getting harder and harder to do. Um, uh, but I would just suggest people expose yourself to both and use your own common sense. And if there's something that you find a little suspicious about what someone's saying, you're probably, you're probably on to something. Trust your, trust your judgment, but then, you know, depending on how much you care about something, you know, look, look into it a little more. Uh, uh, really, if you, uh, you know, Google's, uh, Google's a great way. You Google things and you'll get all sorts of, uh, of hits. And, you know, if you really want to know about something, you can probably figure it out. Now, do you have any other thoughts for our audience? It's very important, uh, I think, free press uh, or free speech. Uh, people should want free speech. And sometimes that means letting somebody you don't agree with have the soapbox. And that the way, if, if you're hearing things that you don't like, don't shut off the conversation. Just come back with your own conversation. In, the, uh, in other words, the best antidote to bad speech is more speech. You fight speech with speech. And that once we get into uh, the idea that regardless of what side you're on, you're trying to limit the speech of the other person, uh, down that path goes tyranny, in, in my opinion. So just, uh, you know, accept the fact, really, when you come down to it, the only speech that needs protecting is bad speech or speech that you think is bad. Obviously, if it's good speech, everybody's for good speech, you know, so if you think it's good speech, of course you're for it. It's the bad speech that you have to protect.
Rick Reef, veteran journalist. Yeah. It was great to have you on California Insider. Well, thank you. It was a, pl a pleasure. Real pleasure.